Thanks again for listening to the Park Hills Podcast. If you want more information on the various things we are doing, go to parkhillschurch.com or the Park Hills Church app. So we are live, and here we go. We have two very special guests today on the podcast. I'm excited about this. We've got both Mary and Kelly, who are going to spend a little time talking about women in the book of Mark. So why not have the ladies talk about women in the book of Mark? So they're going to introduce themselves to you in just a second, and then we'll talk about uh, just a couple of different topics along with this topic. But we are interested to hear what they have to say. So... Go ahead and start us off, Mary. Thank you, Chris. You're welcome. for having us here today. It's fun to be here. And I'm here uh, because I serve the women of the Park Hills Church family and our community. I love women. I love the church. I love helping women discover their gifts and abilities and to use them to contribute to the kingdom and to build up the body. And I could talk about that all day long. Yes, you could. Yes, I could. And it's definitely an area that you're you're you've grown into since you've been here, which has been really Thank cool. You. Really, really cool. Kelly, go ahead and introduce yourself to people. I'm Kelly. Um, I am back at Park Hills. I've been working with children and serving children um, here at Park Hills for a while now, and love that children are not just a a part of the church for the future, but they're also a part of the church for today. So it has been a privilege to be able to serve here with the children. And agreed. You do a great job with that as well. She's definitely growing into this role. It's been a totally different thing than what she's used to, but she's doing great. That's awesome. So with that said, what are we going to talk about, ladies? Introduce us a little bit to the purpose of our time today. Mary, I know you have some thoughts on this, so start us off here and then we'll dive in. Yeah, we wanted to kind of look at a few portraits of women, specifically in the book of Mark. We've been studying the book of Mark. And my question really that um, has kind of inspired the study is, do women feel welcomed into the presence of Jesus? Do women today feel welcomed into the presence of Jesus? And do women feel welcomed into the presence of Jesus when he was here on the earth? And if your answer to that question, just thinking of it as yes, I would say, well, why? And if your answer to that question maybe is no, I would be curious about that as well. Because we do see that women are welcomed into Jesus's presence in the book of Mark. And we're looking at that because women shouldn't have more or less value as we study scripture just because they're females. And the same is true with men. Women have value because they are created in the image and in the likeness of God. And men have value because they are created in the image and likeness of God. And how we treat and how we notice God's representatives demonstrates how we value God. Yeah, I agree with that big time. And the other 
part of this is I think sometimes we think about the Bible strictly from a, a male perspective. And what's interesting is that's not even really what the dri- the driving force of the Bible is. It's much more of a God made them both male and female, and there's a purpose in, in both genders in the midst of the, the ultimate purpose of God, the redemptive plan of God. Right. And so we even have issues sometimes with, uh, while most of the heroes in the scriptures are male, and there's various reasons for that, partly the, the culture that they grew up in, partly also just because of uh, some driving theological issues that, that we'll get to probably later, not necessarily in this podcast today. But there are some things that, that make that part of what we're dealing with. But what's interesting is in a very patriarchal culture like first century Judaism, Jesus does some things that would have made people whisper about him. And so for us to wander into this discussion does come back to that point of here's Jesus welcoming a woman into his presence despite what people would say or think about that. And we don't necessarily think the same way today. I think even before you start Jesus's ministry and how he ministers to women in the book of Mark, we first have to look at that 400 years of silence. Mm -hmm. Because even before Jesus uses a woman, we have this 400 years of silence. And then how God breaks his silence is actually appearing to a woman. So even looking at the book of Mark from beginning to end, you kind of have these these book um, book holders book ends, ends yeah. book ends mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. um, of a woman at the beginning and then the women at the end that they're the ones who go to the tomb. Mm-hmm. So even before Jesus could give value to women, we see the Godhead appearing mm-hmm. to a woman mm-hmm. even yeah. from the very beginning. Yeah, and that's starting with Elizabeth and then moving into Mary and then all the way at the end of the book, Mary Magdalene, who has a storied past, and yet Jesus has her be the first one to show up to the tomb. I mean, come on, that's pretty amazing. Yeah. Well, and even as you were discussing that, you kind of highlighted to me, a lot of times when we approach Scripture, when we, re- when we read Scripture, we're looking for those human characters, and we think that um, you had used the word hero. Mm-hmm. We think that those human characters are the hero of the story, and, you know, in the book of Mark, there's there's so many characters because it's all stories. Mm-hmm. And um, maybe it's the disciples that uh, captivate our attention, or maybe it's the people whose names are mentioned that captivate our attention, or maybe we're distracted by those teachers of the law. And um, this happens when we forget that the Bible is the story of God. It's God's story and all of these stories that we're reading in Mark are about him and they Mm -hmm. reveal something about him to us as readers. And so I think sometimes we struggle when we're reading scripture, when we highlight those human beings as the main character. Mm -hmm. No, I'm totally with you. And I, that's one of my frustrations with most of the TV shows that have been made about the Bible um, is that they start to give this picture that Moses did this amazing thing when Moses, I think, would be petrified to find out that we are honoring him for something God did through him. And so coming into the book of Mark then, moving into sort of the first section of what we wanted to talk about, just to lay some parameters out for us, we're really going to just focus here on women in Mark. if we were doing this podcast a couple of years ago when we did Luke, we probably would have done a whole episode on just all of the different times Luke 
is mentioning women, and it's even more than than what Mark mentions. However, since we're in the book of Mark right now, what a great chance for us to just step back and go, okay, how is God specifically ministering to women in the book of Mark? Or to start us off here, what are some of the things that that are happening that involve women in the book of Mark? So we just have a couple of different examples. Uh, but jumping in here to get started before we move into sort of how they minister to Jesus or how Jesus ministers to women, you know, what are some of the bigger stories in the book of Mark? Mary, I know you wrote down a couple things. Feel free to jump in. Yeah, and I actually just want to read, uh, let's go to Mark 14, verse 9, and I'll be reading out of the NLT. Um, This is just a really interesting thing that Jesus says that's been just in my mind and in my heart. Jesus says, And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. And this she, this her that Jesus is talking about was the woman who used her expensive perfume to anoint him. Mm -hmm. And um, Mark 14 tells us that story of her coming into the house while Jesus and the others were eating. She's carrying her expensive and exotic jar of perfume. And what she does apparently shocks all of those who are at the table with Jesus. She breaks it, her jar, and she pours her perfume over Jesus's head. And her act of love was not well-received by the people around Jesus. But he says that any time the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory mm-hmm. of her. I just think, like, look at the uniqueness of that, of that promise. Any time that Jesus' death and burial and resurrection and ascension is told, this woman mm-hmm. will be remembered. And that's proven just by this story being in here, right? right. Th- there's a part of this that if, you, if we just think about this logically, Mark didn't have to include this story. But the fact that Jesus said that, yeah. Mark feels compelled, whether it's by Peter's influence or, or something else, to make sure that we know about it to fulfill what Jesus said. And then every time we've ever read Mark 14, you start with this moment. Now, there's been a ton of discussion about who this woman is. You know, is this Mary, Martha's sister? It, it seems that that's a, a, it's a good possibility yeah. uh, that's mentioned in a couple of other Gospels that this seems to be that. Right. But this is a different woman than the woman who's doing this at Simon the leper's house in, uh, in the Galilee. So he clearly has a couple of different homes. And in Luke, it's mentioned that they're in Galilee when, when an event like this occurs, and that woman is a prostitute. So what ends up happening is there's this weird, you know, confluence of stories that all kind of get shoved together, and then it makes Mary this this illegitimate woman, so to speak, versus if we just read the stories carefully, the details matter. And the fact that we're not in the same place, there's not the same things happening, you kind of need to notice there's multiple stories happening, there's multiple things occurring, and all of these stories, even though they seem similar, there's different women doing different things at different times. And if we just push them all together, she looks really bad, but she doesn't necessarily need to be bad. And she's not named here right. in Mark. Correct. Although, as you indicated, she is in other in other gospels. Right. I think for me, as we look through the book of Mark, you can see women in different ways. So we mentioned like Mary at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, she was completing prophecy that had spoke that had been spoken about Jesus, proving that he was the Messiah. 
We can see um, discipleship throughout Mark as you have um, Mary Magdalene traveling with Johanna and Susanna. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. You can see healing, mm-hmm. different points of healing throughout different um, women of the book of Mark, such as Peter's mother-in-law or um, the woman who was bleeding for 12 years, mm-hmm. the little girl. Um, yeah. So areas of healing and then also forgiveness. And that's what you were talking about right now. You know, Mary being being forgiven by Jesus over all the sins that she had committed. So mm-hmm. I think when you look at Mark, you you can see different themes throughout there around women throughout the whole book. Yeah, I yeah. totally agree. And I, I love the, the fact that you brought up Peter's mother-in-law because mm-hmm. this is the only book that she's mentioned that she's in, let alone the fact that that proves G- Peter's married, which changes the whole dynamic, I think, in a lot of our minds of what disciples were and yeah. what they were all about. And so even little details like that, when we're really spending time digging through the text and thinking about these things, you know, it's incredibly important and valuable for us to notice those things. Mm -hmm. I think something that's very key in all of these stories is it gives women a testimony. Mm -hmm. Yes. And as we look, you know, it's by his word and by our testimony of what Jesus has done in our lives. And that, I think, is the running thread through all of the women in Mark is that they all have a testimony mm-hmm. afterwards, which is what we're reading today. Yeah. yeah. Well, and even this woman that um, that broke her perfume um, over Jesus' head, and, and he declares that she's anointing him for burial. Like, we don't know if she knew that's what she was doing. We don't know if she understood this. We don't know if she was declaring him as the Messiah. Right. I mean, we have her her gestures. We don't have any words. But Jesus, yeah, values this action. He values her devotion, and especially even after his his own disciples, who are male, repeatedly fail to understand that he is the Messiah. Mm-hmm. And whether or not she recognizes that um, he's going to die, she is declaring that he's worthy of her worship. I mean, what she broke over um, his head, very expensive sacrifice, almost a year's wages. This was an act of worship, mm-hmm. and she was ministering to him in worship and devotion, and she's pretty unique. Her story is pretty unique in that way. It's incredibly unique, and I think part of what makes it even more unique is she's doing something the disciples aren't even doing. And the disciples' response to her is more negative than it should right. be. So there's a there's a tremendous amount of pushback and and you know even pushing and pulling here happening in the story. The disciples respond negatively to this. I mean, this seems to be why Judas goes to sell Jesus out. It, it seems to be that this act pushes him over the edge in some way, and that right. seemed to be implied in the other gospels as well. So if you think about this in, in that way, here's a woman who doesn't necessarily know exactly why she's doing it. I mm-hmm. think you're, you're probably right there to say, I don't know that she, she probably thinks he's Messiah, that that word is spreading. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, does she know that he's going to the cross? No, it doesn't seem like anybody really fully understands that besides Jesus. Yet he sees, this is an incredibly important moment for me. She sees that and she's taking part in this. But then that's what pushes the disciples over the edge and you go, she understands him better in some ways than it seems the 12 disciples do. And that's interesting to me, 
right? And there's there's some of the play that we see with Mary Magdalene and others as well, that they seem to have a better view maybe of who he is mm-hmm. than even the people who claim to be his best followers or the people who are following him the most, which is interesting. So, so this is interesting to me because we're reading it, you know, thousands of years later. Mm-hmm. But as we try to put ourselves in her shoes in that day that she was... I think I try to try to in some way understand her background, her story, what was what happened before Jesus, you know, had delivered her and Mm -hmm. how did she grow up? How did she know even more than what the disciples knew at that point? And really, why would she do this? Mm -hmm. And I think of Mary, the mother of Jesus, then where she stored up things in her heart Mm -hmm. and she stored up things in Mm -hmm. her heart and she stored up things in her heart. So I would love to sit and ask her, like, what were the things that you were storing up in your heart mm-hmm. that would make yeah. you pour out a whole month of wages mm-hmm. in that moment? Like there had to be something already going on in mm-hmm. her heart to get her to that point that she was in that moment. Yeah. yeah. Which and makes you think how grateful she must be. Have you ever been that grateful to Jesus yourself? What do you do with that? I mean, that's just a crazy thought. I love it. And it and it touched him. It touched his heart. Like mm-hmm. he knew he was going to die. And he calls this a beautiful thing that she has done for him. She ministered to yep. him as opposed um, to the other way around. And like Kelly said, where did she learn that from? Well, she was a student. She was a follower of, of his, and she learned tenderness from Jesus. She learned compassion from Jesus. She learned sacrifice from him. Those aren't necessarily um, gender-specific characteristics, right? We think of those things um maybe as feminine characteristics, especially because we're studying this story, but where did she learn those mm-hmm. from Jesus? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and from his word, absolutely. So let's let's move into some of the ways Jesus ministers and leads women in Mark. I think one of the biggest stories here, and it's really a two-part story that deals with two different women, and we've covered this on the podcast a little bit uh, already a few weeks ago, you know, probably months ago at this point, all the time just sort of floods and goes on and on and on, and the days turn into weeks and so on and so forth. But Mark chapter 5 is filled with these amazing moments where Jesus is uh, in the Galilee, which I can totally picture all of this happening. Uh, you know, it, it makes me want to always put a plug in, go to Israel. You need to see it. You need to, like, experience it. But he's in the Galilee. First, Jairus's daughter needs help. And then a woman who is bleeding comes to receive help from him in a uh, I just want to read a couple of these verses and let you guys start to jump in and, and say things. But So there was a woman, this is verse 25 of chapter 5. There was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. And she had heard reports about Jesus and came up from behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I would be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus perceived that the power had left him. He turned and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said, you see the crowd pressing around you. How can you say this? This doesn't make any sense. And she says, she comes up, and she's trembling, and she came in fear, and she falls down before him. In verse 34, Jesus says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. 
that's got to be incredibly huge for, for both of you and women in general. So what, what starts to jump out for you there? What do you see? What do you notice? I think for me, um, here's a woman with no name. She's not mm. named in the, in these chapters. She has no name. And I don't know how many people have been in churches where they're just called brother or sister mm. and they don't have a name where it's not personal. And then for me, here's a woman with no name. And then Jesus says to her daughter, your faith has made you well. So for me, this is more about identity Mm -hmm. than Mm -hmm. about physical healing. I think Jesus used her need. What she needed was her physical um, body to be touched. But what he gave her was her identity as a daughter. Yeah. Yeah, love that. What do you see, Mary? So good. Yeah, just the the tenderness in which he speaks to her when she's expecting the worst. You know, uh, a good rabbi doesn't let unclean people touch him. Right. And so she already knows Jesus is going to respond to that um, in correction or even punishment, and yet he doesn't. And um, he actually doesn't even address that issue as far as um, what we're, what we have recorded. He doesn't talk about spiritual uncleanliness. And he was, he was searching the crowd for her, right? Mm-hmm. Like Kelly was saying, he couldn't just let it go and walked on, although he could have. But he wanted us to notice that he interacted with her and he wanted us to notice that he was commending her boldness in faith again that's not a masculine or a feminine trait mm-hmm. boldness is is something that comes from hearing about Jesus and knowing who he is and and following him and that's true for for men and for women and i think it's recorded so that we notice that yeah, and this is a great moment for me just to point a couple of things out along with exactly what we're saying. Uncleanliness doesn't mean sinfulness here. It just right. means it's something that's happening in her that makes her ritually unclean. So she's not allowed to enter the holy spaces. She's not allowed to enter religious practice. But she's done necessarily, there's nothing in the story that suggests she's done anything wrong. There's no sin here. Right. It's not about necessarily approaching Jesus because we've done nothing wrong or, or everything right or what, however you want to look at that. What the point is, is she can't approach religiously because of that. And to take it one step further than even what you said, Mary, it's true that a rabbi wouldn't allow an unclean woman to come in their presence. But most rabbis wouldn't even let a woman close to them. Yeah. So it even does take it one extra step where, Mm. and and there's a lot of reasons for that. You know, even today, I know that we all need to be very careful when we're doing ministry because we live in a day and age that it it feels like a lot of things are under attack. And so one of those things leads to us being careful with us ministering with or alongside of the opposite sex. Or if I'm counseling someone in my office. I, I, I want to always kind of have somebody nearby and not because I don't trust myself or trust them. It has nothing to do with that. It's just, right. we need to be wise and we need to be careful. And, and I want to live above reproach and I want to live in that way. And so to some extent, I could understand a rabbi saying, I don't want a woman to be around me at all. I don't want anybody whispering. At the same time, Jesus doesn't ever, he's never concerned about that. He just pushes right through those barriers and, and I've said this before, I know that when we were preaching the Gospel of Luke, I said this a bunch of times, and I'll say it again here. 
one of the things I love about Jesus is there's never a question about his intentions. Do you know yeah. what I'm saying? And in the love culture that. we live in today, like there's so often people are questioning pastoral atten- intentions or pe- someone who's ministering in some way, they're questioning their intentions. I would love to live in a world that doesn't need to question intentions. I both welcome the fact that people feel like they need to question uh, and I'm, I'm going to be wise in that regard. But I wish that we lived in a world that no one questioned, that everyone just trusted that Chris is a good guy. He's following Jesus. He's never going to put me in a weird spot. But because we can't live in that world, uh, we have to put some some parameters in place. So like I said, I can get the rabbi off a hook if they said, I don't want to talk to a woman in public because I don't want people whispering. But Jesus doesn't even care. He just pushes right through it, says, I'm in the crowd. Let's go. Let's make this happen. Yeah. I think you have to look at the woman's um, heart at this point as well. Like at the end of verse 34 or 33, it says she came in fear and trembling. But I think about the fear that she had to overcome even to go into his presence. Like her intention to go and find him. She was desperate. Um, She was desperate, but she overcame her fear because many times we get paralyzed by fear. Mm-hmm. She overcame her fear and took the the lunge. She reached out to touch him. This isn't a place where we see him touching her. She had to overcome what that would look like right. um, to go into the presence of a rabbi or to be there. And then I think the word fear at the end of that is like we're seeing it but I think it's a different fear in this. I don't think it's, I think it's that fear of knowing that I just touched God Yes. and I could mm. die. So I think she had to overcome the fear that you and I struggle with on a mm-hmm. daily basis to do the right thing or to right. um, make, make that next step. But I think at the end, when she has been healed and she knows that she has been healed, now she comes with, I'm in the presence of a holy God. Absolutely. And I'm so glad you brought that detail out yeah, because so this is what Paul says later. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's the same set of words. And so there is this expectation of me approaching God, you approaching God, this woman approaching God, realizing I don't deserve to live and he's letting me live. Holy cow, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. So, And I love her response. She fell down before him mm-hmm. and told him the whole truth. Mm-hmm. That's the response that we should have mm-hmm. in the presence of a holy God. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. And and he's redefining his relationship with her. He's calling her daughter. You know, he's not um, he's not making um a romantic relationship or the marriage relationship the primary relationship, which I think we do sometimes when we talk about men and women, that's kind of where we go. But he's calling her daughter and he's declaring her to be a member of his family mm-hmm. and even even earlier in mark 3 when um, jesus's mother and and brothers they thought that yep. jesus was out of his mind he, he needed to take care of his physical needs he needed to eat and yeah i can't really hold it against his mother that she said jesus you're out of your mind you need to eat um but he replied when he was told that they that they were making those demands of him, and I'm in Mark 3, verse 33, Jesus replied, Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Then he looked at those around him and said, Look, these are my mother and brothers. Anyone 
who does God's will is my brother and sister and mother and declaring those who do his will as his brothers and his sisters, um, honored family members. And I want my sisters to hear that Jesus welcomes us into his family Mm -hmm. as his sisters, not as objects, not as um, less than, Mm -hmm. not as um, the gender that's meant to serve, but as siblings. And that would have been pretty outrageous of a statement to make at this time. Oh, incredibly. Well, Well, honestly, even the fact that he's saying mother and sister is pretty radical. Right. Because I don't know that anybody would have used that term. And so the fact that he's willing to do that is pretty incredible. Let's look at some of the ways in which Jesus elevates and honors women in Mark. We've kind of pointed this out a little bit, but there's a number of spots where, you know, Jesus is doing something pretty incredible. You know, we, we talked about the, the two women in Mark 5, and there's an elevation happening there. But the Syrophoenician woman in Mark 7 is interesting uh, in verse 24 and, and on to 30. And part of it is, and we talked about this in the sermon, just to be really clear, I think some people think this is him talking down to her. I don't think that's at, at all. In fact, he's speaking to her in very loving terms, even you know to a Gentile who wouldn't expect to hear that from a Jew. But her response is pretty amazing, and it leads to this this great moment of him honoring her, doesn't it? Right. This is the, the Gentile woman that um, comes to Jesus and asks him to heal not only her child, but her little girl mm-hmm. who's possessed by an evil spirit. And she's not a Jew, but she's heard about Jesus. And she comes to him and she begs him to cast out this this demon. And even with her upbringing, she somehow realizes that the kingdom of God is meant for all people. You know, somewhere she has learned this, somewhere along her life. And maybe she understood that Yahweh was planning to save the nations, like he said he would. Maybe she understood that um, better than even some of the male biblical scholars at that time, because I think we see again and again his disciples are, sh- are shocked um, when um, Jesus extends himself to those who are outside of um, the Jewish family and faith. But yet this, this woman is the only figure that we have in Mark that actually challenges um, Jesus's words and doesn't get rebuked for it, because mm-hmm. um, that does happen. <laughs> And um, Jesus does acknowledge and discuss her heritage. You know, she comes to him with this request. It seems like it's going to be a roadblock to um, getting the healing that she desires for her daughter. And so she responds and she says, um, and again, this is Mark 7, True Lord, but even dogs under the table are allowed to eat the scraps from the children's plates. Now, that's a lot to unpack, and we're not going to be unpacking that. But he responds to this challenge. He treats her as someone who has intellect. Like, he sees this intellect in her, and he says, good answer. Mm -hmm. And then um, she actually returns home, and 
her daughter has has already been healed. And I think that the fact that Jesus is commending a woman for her brain, for her logic, for her intellect is really, really interesting. Yeah, and I think that's definitely a part of what he's saying. And I think he's also pointing out her faith, right? I mean, it's, it's yes. an incredible amount of faith, even in a way that maybe some others in his region wouldn't have thought of. And so she's able to move back to him and say, yes, but in faith, this is what I would be asking for, what I would do. And his response is just, man, that's that's fantastic. So I, I totally agree. And I think a lot of times... Uh, in the ancient world, women were not educated. They were not given a chance to go right. to school. They they would not have known a number of the things that they expect to know. The chosen does this a little bit. Um, and, and just so that we're totally clear, I know I've said this on the podcast before, I don't love everything about the chosen, but what some of the things they're doing are really clever and really good. And the women starting to learn the language and uh, get involved in some of the text is really cool because that, that probably is close to what would have happened. They... We're only allowed to go to school for so long, and then there would have been a big gap in their education. And I have no problem with the fact that Jesus would have been saying, okay, let's let's move you along. Let's keep you thinking about this. Well, and actually, yeah, they would have been seen as fanciful or emotional, or they wouldn't have qualified because of their gender or because of their, their feminine traits to not be nurtured and encouraged in in learning and um, even in in the scriptures at that time, which mm-hmm. um, again we we see Jesus um, commending this woman for her understanding of what Scripture really was saying. That yes, I am for the nations. I am not just for the Jews. And to this, at this point in time, it doesn't seem like anyone else has figured that out yet. Yeah. So if you think about what we've talked about so far, the the women that Jesus has elevated in a number of different ways. You've got the woman who anoints his feet in Mark 14. You've got uh, the fact that Jairus's daughter has just as much importance as anybody else. The fact that the woman who's bleeding comes to him. The fact that Jesus elevates his his mother, but then at the same time elevates everyone around him mm-hmm. to his mother and sister status, which is huge. And then I think one of my favorite stories that deals with women being looked at in a a positive sense is a woman that would have been completely invisible to the vast majority of people in the day. And this is the the widow in Mark 12. And so they're outside the temple looking at her coming up to the treasury. And you know the story, but many rich people are coming in, dropping large sums, probably making a big deal out of how much they've given. You know, it reminds me of the book of Matthew when Jesus says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. These guys want both of their hands to know exactly what they're doing and everyone around them to know exactly what they're doing. And here comes a woman who just drops in two tiny coins, but it's everything she has. And Jesus says, they they all, the rich people, contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put everything she has, everything she has to live on. And he's lifting her up and, and really leaving a lasting impression on his disciples. This woman has so much faith in me that she's able to give everything she has, trusting that I'm going to take care of her tomorrow. Who in Israel has that kind of faith, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, if you have millions of dollars and you give away 100,000, you may sound really great, but it doesn't mean hardly anything. But if all you've got is two quarters left over and you go drop those in the bin, oh boy, that'll make you wonder what's going to happen tomorrow. How am I going to take care of this? And this woman 
is just elevated in such an amazing way. Uh, mm -hmm. it, it's just beautiful. So I think where we want to end this this podcast is we want to just spend a couple of minutes here talking about the ways in which women minister to Jesus in the book of Mark. There's a number of occasions here. I don't care which one of you jumps in and starts us off, but there's this, this beauty in the fact that uh, I, I think so often we think of the ways in which maybe the disciples— and I, when I say the disciples, I'm thinking of the 12. Those, those are usually the ones that are named, the ones that are, you spend the most time with, how they took care of Jesus, right? They're feeding him in different ways. They're, they're leading him along. They're feeding, you know, the, the crowds, the 12, you know, the 5,000. They're, they're broken up into groups and they're all feeding. But what I find amazing is how many times Jesus is actually ministered to by a woman. And we don't think about that today as much mm -hmm. as, as maybe we should or could. Uh, so, yeah, what are your thoughts on that? Huge topic, big softball tossed your way. You, you do what you're going to do there. So more about the women serving Jesus mm -hmm. versus us serving others. Is that sure. what I'm understanding? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I think over and over again in Mark, we do see that. I think that in, women in general, depending on which society and culture you come from, and especially back in the biblical time, there was such a desperation within women, mm. um, seen of as less, not heard from. Right. Um, they didn't have their voice. And I think within women in general, there is such a deep desperation to be seen, to be known. And I think when you have a man come in, um, as Messiah, as you've been waiting for, as you've been longing for, even if you have a man come in and, and you hear about him, there's this deep longing inside, I think, of a woman's heart. Will he see me too? Mm. Will he know me too? Will he accept me too? After hearing the stories, after hearing the testimonies, you know, echoing out throughout that land. And so I think even before the women get to Jesus, there's already this desperateness and there's already this desire to be seen. I think it is the outpouring of that desperation that they're willing to serve him first. Mm. I think that they, they, they're going with the mentality of if he did it for them, he can do it for yeah. me too. Yeah. And I think the heart of that woman is probably going in, already thankful for what right. he will do. Mm -hmm. And I'm actually reading um, Mark 7, 24. There's the women in Mark, but I think what's calling my attention right now is the daughters. So mm. we're not just looking at women, but we're also looking at a daughter who has mm. an unclean spirit. And we don't know the age of this daughter right now. Right. But again, I see the desperation of a woman on behalf of her daughter. Mm -hmm. And so this is the second time we see a child. There was a 12-year-old child or a daughter that was healed. So because I do love children, we have to put ourselves in, in their shoes as well. Like this is a mother and now her daughter who are very desperate for just a touch of Jesus. So I think, I think for me, a, a woman who already knows that this man could possibly see me, accept me, love me, heal me, whatever it is that they need, they're already coming with a grateful heart and mm -hmm. believing that he can do it for me too. Yeah. It's a response to him 
of love because he has shown them love first. And it's unashamed, right? It's just, um, you had you had mentioned earlier, Kelly, the women who were at the cross and um, even as Jesus' body is being taken down, Mark 15, uh, 40 and 41 tell us, some women were there watching from a distance, including Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the Younger and of Joseph and Salome. They had been followers of Jesus and had cared for him while he was in Galilee. Mm-hmm. Many other women who had come with him to Jerusalem were also there. And it's like, okay, Jesus is dying. And what are they doing? They are there. Mm -hmm. They're being present. And their ministry to him, their care for him, their response, because they've been following him. They know how good he is. They know what he's done for them. Their response is, we have to stay and um, to stay and to watch and to witness and um, to just give their presence to the Savior, I just think that's notable because someone might think, you're just there. What is that? Yeah. But, but it was so uh, touching to, to Jesus that it's recorded for us to know that they stayed and their ministry was just being present with him in his, in his sorrow and in his affliction. And I think that women need to hear that. We, we might need, we might think, well, that comes naturally to me. Of course, I'm going to be with people. Of course, I'm going to be, um, that may come natural to you. That might not come naturally to you. But that's not really ministering to someone, is it? Just being there? Well, yeah, Jesus <laughs> wants us to know that that is a ministry that we can do, that those women did for him and that we can do for others. We can be there. Again, I don't know that that's specific to a gender, but it's something that women definitely taught us in this story. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I'm looking up right now as you're saying that just to, I, I think there's a stark contrast in them all being there because the disciples have fled. And right. so the 12, the you know, the macho, one sold Jesus out, and he's now running off to a place to, you know, dispatch himself. Uh, that's the kind way of me saying what he's going to do. And then you have the other 11 uh, have scattered to the wind. Um, we know that James seems to be there, or John, and Jesus seems to say, you know, he's your mother, and or he's your son, and she's your mother now, and, and there's some kind of connection there. But I think it's interesting that Mary Magdalene, and then it says the Mary of, of Mary, the mother of James and Joseph. Uh, I'm just I'm very curious as to who that actually yeah, is. We're not sure because it makes me wonder if because they adopted Mary after Jesus's death, if they almost become that. But jo- James and Joseph also were sons of of Mary, mother of Jesus. So it almost seems like. He's just using a different name for anyway. I could get you. You guys send me down rabbit holes. You don't even realize I'm down. And here, here, here I am. But what I'm saying is the the main point of that, based on what you're saying, is yes, they're caring for him, but they are also present when no one else mm-hmm. is, and the disciples who should be there have scattered, yeah. and the ones who maybe have even more on the line because they are women, they are there and they're present and they're a part of it, which. You know, one of the things I wanted to say in, in this particular podcast is just to thank 
so many of the moms and the grandmas who have been present and have walked mm-hmm. with their children and grandchildren through really dark things, the world, the whole world over is grateful for this. Uh, you know, the church wouldn't exist in certain countries if it weren't for the moms and if it weren't for the grandmas yeah. who have just stuck with Jesus. Their Beautiful. husbands, you know, their husbands either don't come to church because it's quote unquote, not for them or their husbands have abandoned or they've passed away. And yet the moms and the, and the grandmas are still bringing their kids and wanting them to be a part of it. And I think this is a great testimony of these women to be there, to be present, even in the midst of the, you know, the, the pushback that might come to say, no, I'm going to be here. I'm going to be a part of this. I'm going to watch him. I'm going to, I'm going to serve him. And then when you get to chapter 16, really, it seems that, uh, let me read verse one there. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Salome brought spices. It, they wouldn't have been able to purchase spices. So the time that he dies, if, if our timelines are right, when he dies, Sabbath begins right after that and means all the shops would have shut down, nothing would have been open. So the moment the sun starts to rise on Sunday morning, they're sprinting to yeah. the store. You know, they're walking to Walmart basically as the doors are getting ready to open, right? They're standing there waiting for the doors to open, rush in, get the spices, ready to go, and then rushing to the tomb to take care of Jesus and to make sure that he's prepared for burial. And when they get there, no one's there. So there's even a diligence to them and such a, a faithfulness and a uh, some type of servanthood that we don't even fully understand that leads them being the first ones there. There's something beautiful in that that we need to sort of process and think about. So, yeah, this is really helpful. I, I think there's so many episodes we could do on women yeah. throughout not just the book of Mark, but the Bible in general. And I, I'm not and I'm not always going to bring you two in just to talk about the women. There's other things that we want to chat about that, that you guys will be a part of. But you've never been on the podcast before. So I wanted to make sure I got you here. And it was hard enough getting you in the room right now. But here we are. Here we are. And it, and it, are. Was, and it worked. Nobody died. <laughs> Everything's fine. Everybody's great. So, so with that said, uh, just any closing thoughts, any closing ideas? on the shorter side as we finish this out. Yeah, I think for me, um, Psalms 73, 25 and 26 come to mind, whether it be the heart of a woman or just any human being in general. Whom have I in heaven but you, and earth has nothing I desire beside you. Mm. My heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. I just want to close it with that because it is the heart behind any woman. Many times we're not seen, we're not understood, we're not accepted as for a male as well. But I think every woman in the book of Mark could say this, whom have I in heaven but you in mm-hmm. earth has nothing I desire mm-hmm. besides you. And that was why they sought out Jesus. Yeah, and to respond, I want to glorify you. I want to serve you. I want to care for you. I want to worship you. I want to learn from you because it's all about your value and your worth, Jesus, not mine.